Welcome, everyone, to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz. I want to welcome all of our viewers from around the world today. If you are joining us for the first time and want more information about our show, please visit us on the web at deadtalklive.com. And if you have yet to do so, please visit us on YouTube. Our channel's name is, of course, Dead Talk Live. Feel free to go ahead and subscribe. And if you're there right now, uh, please go ahead and hit the thumbs up button on this broadcast. So welcome to all of you guys. I apologize for being 10 minutes late today, but it's for a good reason. Uh, it's been one of those hectic days, but I was uh, busy securing future guests to appear on our show. So my apologies for starting 10 minutes late tonight. Uh, I hope you guys got to tune in yesterday to see our interview with Annette Mahandru, who plays Huck on The Walking Dead World Beyond. She helped us uh, break down the finale. And I got to ask you guys, you know, going back several weeks, who here really saw it coming down to Huck as, you know, all roads leading to Huck in the season finale of World Beyond? And that's what we're going to be discussing today. We're going to be discussing the finale of uh, World Beyond tonight and break it down some more. But it was great having Annette uh, on last night to give us her perspective, who, you know, she, of course, plays Huck, and some of the amazing uh, scenes in that kick-ass two-episode finale that we all got to see on Sunday of World Beyond. I told you guys, be patient. They were building up the storyline. It's going to reach a climactic conclusion, and it did. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm even more excited now waiting for season two because there's so many questions, so many loose ends that need to be tied up. So cannot wait for season two of World Beyond. Now, some more scheduling notes. Tomorrow, we have special guest uh, Caroline Davernas, who has starred in um, Hannibal all seasons of Hannibal as Dr. Alana Bloom. Very excited to have Caroline with us tomorrow. She's also had her own hit show, Mary Kills People, has appeared in numerous movies, such as uh, the movie Devil, which in my opinion is a highly, highly underrated but awesome movie. And it's called Devil. If you guys have not watched it, I highly recommend that you guys see the movie Devil. So anyway, tomorrow Caroline is going to be our guest. A lot of great info, a lot of great questions I have for her in regards to Hannibal. I don't know how many Hannibal Lecter fans we have out there. I'm a huge fan, going all the way back to Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal, which was the sequel to Silence of the Lambs, Red Dragon, which is the prequel to Silence of the Lambs and the Hannibal Lecter storyline in general. And, you know, our guest tomorrow night was a huge part in the TV show, uh, Hannibal, and uh, she played Dr. Alana Bloom. So I am super psyched to have our special guest, Caroline Davernas, tomorrow here with us. Very psyched about that. And in another scheduling note, we do have a confirmed date now for Alexa Neeson, who plays Charlie on Fear the Walking Dead. Alexa will be joining us live this coming Monday, November, sorry, December 7th. So, yep, that's right. Alexa is going to be with us, who plays Charlie on Fear the Walking Dead, Monday night, December 7th. And we have a whole bunch more guests that are going to be announced in the days to come, uh, as well as the ones that have already been announced and we're just waiting dates from as well. So, guys got a, you know, a lot of exciting stuff coming down the pipeline. And talking about exciting stuff, we got three great video submissions over the last several days, extending back into the Thanksgiving break. Uh, two of them are from Hard Productions, and they are horror fandom videos. We're going to be showing both of those tonight. And 
we got another kick-ass video from uh, Thais by Tara, who uh, made a great tribute to Michonne called Survivor. So we're going to be breaking, we're going to be showing all three of those videos tonight as we go through this hour. And we're going to go ahead and start out with uh, Hard Productions uh, Horror Multi-Fandom Tribute to the Horror Genre. This is a great video. I posted it on my social media. So let's go ahead and check that out, guys. Watch this. Most people are so ungrateful. 
would love you. Not anymore. So there you guys have it. Uh, tribute to old and new classic horror. Love that video. Uh, thank you so much, Hard Productions, for submitting that. Uh, he did another video that we're going to show later on uh, that's just dedicated to the Halloween 2018 movie. So, anyway, great, great, great video. We've got more to show tonight as the hour progresses. So, let's get on to our World Beyond finale uh, breakdown, okay? And as we do this, we're going to go through articles and talk about them, share our opinion, and so on. So, this one is the World Beyond finale offers hope for the future. I'm sure there's a big pun intended in that one. The two-part finale, The Deepest Cut, and In This Life, the road trip reaches an abrupt and violent end as a traitor stands revealed. Huck, played by the American's veteran Annette Mahendru, who turns out to be the daughter of Julia Ormond's Civic Republic military leader, Elizabeth Kublik. The finale explains Huck's reason for infiltrating the group and indeed pushing them into onto the open road in the first place. It's all an effort to show the world to hope firmly on the CRM's radar thanks to her brilliant mind. Huck aimed to show hope the ropes and get her to learn about the apocalypse with first-hand experience. So the whole thing uh, was Huck's idea. Because, like Annette said yesterday, if it was just the CRM, they would just come in and snatched her, killed everybody else, and left. Uh, the whole plan to get her away from there was Huck's idea. And it was Huck that sent those messages, you know, to Iris and Hope, uh, pretending to be their dad in distress. It was all to get them out of those walls. Now, Huck did not know what Elizabeth was going to do to the Omaha colony. And even after the finale, she still does not know that the Omaha colony has been completely obliterated by the CRM. Now, we discussed this yesterday with Annette as well. How is she going to react to that news? I'm sure she's not going to be too happy about it. You guys got to remember she spent a lot of time in the Omaha colony. She did make some friends there. She did become accustomed to the life there. And finding out that her mother ordered the slaughter of everyone there is, in my opinion, opinion not going to sit too well with her. And it's going to be at least the start of the breaking point. And I really see we're going to see a full redemption arc when it comes to Huck's character next season. Uh, right now, you know, she is, like I said yesterday, drinking the Kool-Aid that her mom is dishing out about building a better future and all that other, you know, nonsense. It's, you know, the CRM's future. How many times in the Walking Dead universe have we've seen everybody talk about the future? Hell, look at Fear the Walking Dead right now and Virginia. Well, she is building her future. You know, Negan had his future. Everybody has their own idea of what humanity's future should look like. And no two are the same, you know? So... That is going to be the breaking point for Huck, I believe, come next season. And it's going to lead to an amazing, amazing storyline. Anyway, continuing on, uh, you know, she didn't mean for Hope's sister Iris and the rest of their companions to come along for the ride. And she certainly did not intend to get into a fight for her life opposite former best friend and colleague Felix. The finale ends with the full party scattered in various directions. 
Hawk and Hope on their way towards connecting with the greater CRM. We still do not know if Hope's father, Dr. Leo Bennett, is alive. I really think he's dead. I think he's dead. Lila, that doctor that we have been seeing, we saw more of her in the finale and flashbacks. And she's the one that we've been seeing in the post credit scenes. Yeah, she's a little off. Uh, she's the one that revealed, uh, you know, what Leo Bennett told her about his daughters. She went ahead and told the CRM. That's what got the CRM interested in hope. Uh, it's not clear if Dr. Leo Bennett is alive or dead. I personally think he's dead. That's just my opinion. Uh, he's dead. And when you see her in the finale talking, uh, into that testing room where they keep their test subjects it's a dark room and i do believe that dr leo bennett is in there but he's in there as a walker anyway uh iris and felix reuniting with Felix's boyfriend will that was a good twist and a bunch of mysterious forest dwelling survivors elton and a wounded percy both on the run and silas fully in CRM custody. Now, I don't understand why Silas felt the need to turn himself in. Uh, he could have easily left with them. He did not slow the CRM down. Maybe uh, they were looking, you know, what led them to that warehouse was the fire that Silas started in that beat up old barbecue. Uh, so maybe by him giving himself up, he gives somebody that the CRM knew was there and they would stop looking, maybe, but he could have gotten away. He could have gotten away with Elton and Percy, but he chose to give himself up. Does he have a bigger plan? I don't know. But Silas is, is the other character on this show who, like I mentioned yesterday to Annette, has become a huge fan favorite on the world beyond and it's going to be really interesting silas is going to be on the inside of the crm as a prisoner we assume hope is being brought in to be indoctrinated into the crm and then you have felix and iris who are going to get the full scoop from will and his buddies in the forest, we have no idea who they are as to what the CRM is really all about. Uh, obviously, Will survives some type of an assassination attempt on him. So we just got to wait and find out, you know, find out. Uh, Rebecca on YouTube writes, uh, I wonder why he did that as well in regards to Silas. Uh, Stone Walker on YouTube writes, I felt like Silas feels like a burden, which is sad because he is such a great character. He is a great character, and his character is only going to keep progressing. His character, uh, his character arc is only just beginning. And you guys got to remember, it's a limited two-season show. So whatever they're going to do, they're going to have to do it all. In next season, they've got 10 episodes for season two. So all this stuff, all these questions in regards to that group are going to have to in some way be answered in the next 10 episodes that we're going to get starting next year with season two. Uh, anyway, it's the Huck and Hope situation that sounds the loudest alarm as their one-way ticket to the heart of a greater empire is bound to illuminate the larger Walking Dead mythology, weaving throughout not just the various different shows, but also Andrew Lincoln's still-developing Rick Grimes movies. It was about exploring the relationship between Hope and Huck. There's a whole backstory we had in our head originally when we created the series. Hope is super smart. We saw her exhibiting her intellect in an interesting way at the beginning, brewing alcohol. And I love that line 
as Hope is saying goodbye to Iris, letting her know that the CRM has it wrong, that she is not the only asset. It is both of them together that make the combined asset. And of course, she's not going to reveal that to Huck or anybody else because she wants to keep Iris safe and out of the CRM's hands. So let's see. She learned how to do that on her own. There were other hints we laid out along the way about how Huck and the CRM in general have plans for people with above-average minds. We established that her father, Leo, is at this research facility laying groundwork for the cure. It's something that's going to take generations to do. What better person to work alongside him than Hope? But I really think the dude is dead. <laughs> uh, I really do. Uh, they could totally surprise us. They could totally be doing this just to keep us guessing. Is he alive? Is he dead? He very well may be alive. He might be alive. But my gut tells me that Dr. Leo Bennett is dead, which makes Hope even more important for the CRM to get their hands on. Uh, it was also really about the generational plan that the CRM has, and it's something we'll del delve more into in season two. Now, as far as Huck goes, was the character conceived with his heel turn in mind? Yep, that was one of the first things we came up with uh, when uh, co-creator of The Walking Dead and Chief Content Officer Scott Gimple and I talked about in creating these characters, our first conversations were about who are these people. One thing that appealed to us was the idea of having someone part of the CRM also be a part of this group. Not only they don't know it and the audience doesn't know it. There are definitely clues along the way, and a couple of things she did throughout the season that might have had people wondering if they can trust her or not. But we wanted to lay the groundwork for the reveal and also have fun with the idea that we are meeting characters for the first time and one or more of them might not be who we think they are. Uh... Finishing up, it was a prime opportunity for us to play with that concept in a limited series. I don't know about you guys, but for me personally, I did not see that Huck twist coming. Uh, I've said numerous times on this show when we found out, you know, in the very first episode where Elizabeth reveals that she has a daughter, uh, you know, how I thought that possibly Isabel from Fear the Walking Dead, the CRM soldier that we've re only really gotten to see in one episode with Al, and we got to hear her voice again in a recent episode before the mid-season finale. I thought that would have been a great way to tie those two shows together. The writers did not go that way. They wanted Elizabeth's daughter to be in the World Beyond show. I mean, it could have gone either way. But if they would have made Isabel, uh, you know, Elizabeth's daughter, that would have been a brilliant way of tying those two shows together. But that's not where they are taking this. They are taking this in a completely different direction. Uh, Khaleesi writes, I feel he might still be alive because Huck already told her he's okay if, he get, if she gets there and he's not, Hope won't do anything. Well, you, at this point, you can't really trust what Huck says. Uh, I think she is going to go through a character change, like I said. But right now, you can't trust what Huck says. Huck has shown us in season one that she will say and do whatever it takes to accomplish her mission. And that is to get Hope into the CRM. Now, once she's there, that's a whole different issue. Huck's mission was to get her there. Is she going to go along willingly? Uh, 
we just got to wait and find out. I have no idea. Um, let's see. Lindsay Sparks says it was, I uh, was very frustrated watching the season finale, uh, because of the, uh, unanswered questions. I want to say hello to Sylvia on Facebook from North Carolina. Welcome Sylvia. Now the second part says in the sisters final scene together, Hope tells Iris that she's not the only special one. It's two of them together that make the real asset. Now, how will they? Now, how will that play out in the future? They are both so different. They both have huge strength. The one on the CR, CRM's radar is Hope, but at the same time, in one sense, the sisters are greater together than the sum of their parts. A thing that Iris has is this hope in her sister to be able to pull something off. With the CRM so laser-focused on hope and what they can use her for, they're not giving enough credit to Iris, another person who may not be able to save just hope and their father, but may also be able to save the world from the CRM. And I did bring this up yesterday with Annette. I told her, uh, did she feel like the CRM and Huck in particular become very tunnel vision on hope and ignore the other possible assets in the Omaha colony? You know, the really big one being Iris, her sister. Uh, and Hope knows it, Iris knows it, and we see in that scene, in that flashback scene, when Dr. Leo walks in on a young Hope putting together that computer, uh, but what he doesn't see is that Iris comes in right behind her and helps her complete that task. So it's, you know, the point they're trying to convey is that it's both of them together that make up that great partnership. So we'll just have to wait. Entering the second fine the second and the final season, what does Hope's journey to the CRM open up to us about both this specific story and also the greater Walking Dead universe? The group is divided. They are splintered into different subgroups. It's going to give us an opportunity to explore a couple of different worlds. We have Silas that is captured by the CRM, which opens up a few adventures for us. We also have Hope on her way to see her dad and where her dad is. And we also have Iris and Felix meeting with Will and this interesting group of woods folks, which is another world we're going to explore. Throughout the season, we'll potentially see these worlds come together in some really interesting ways. It's really curious. If you start to think about it, who are those people that Will is hanging out with? And there's quite a few of them in the woods. Are they former CRM uh, that have abandoned them after they found out like who they really are? For example, that soldier... Uh, that we saw earlier in the season that was really opposed to what Elizabeth did to the Omaha colony? Are they just stray survivors uh, that are trying to hide from the CRM from being discovered? Because we know what the CRM does to people that they deem as not useful. They kill them. They slaughter them. That makes them no better than the Terminus people. You know, uh, so this whole greater future, uh, let's kill everything else that's not involved in this future. God, have we seen it over and over in the Walking Dead universe in regards to whose new future you're talking about. Anyway, I am going to take a pause right there and I'm going to play our second video. Okay, the second video is a Michonne tribute by Thais Batera. It's a kick ass Michonne tribute. I mean, awesome. It's called Survivor. So let's go ahead and check that out.
this, Michonne. When you've gotten good with a sword, you know how valuable that is now? You know what that makes you? What? What are we going for? Where's the happy ending here? guys gotta admit that was a kick-ass video of michonne and you're right michonne is a warrior queen on the walking dead there's there's no other term that describes her better and that video oh my god it was it was a great video it was amazing it was awesome thank you thighs for submitting that uh a perfect depiction of the character of michonne from when we first met her uh, outside the gates. Well, we first were, well, sorry, that's not where we first met her. That's when Rick first sees her and our viewer Summer Springer had this imaginary like love look lock that those two exchanged. That did not happen. It was just pure fear. But I tell you what, you know, from the time that we met her through the end, uh, she is a warrior queen. There is no other term better to describe michonne than that uh we have an incoming call hello you're on dead talk live with viz what's your name big black nigger 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 you know i gotta address that first of all i apologize for that but the people who do that those crank calls they are 10, 11, 12-year-old kids, okay? So my apologies for that, guys. That kind of crap is not tolerated here. And that's what's led me to screening these phone calls more and more. Because people, uh, kids, they're kids. They're 10, 11, 12-year-old kids who uh, think it's funny. Yeah. Wait till they get into the real world. <laughs> then we'll see who has the last laugh. Anyway, enough of that distraction. 
let's move on to more of our news. Now, this is still the continuation of the article of World Beyond. Uh, mentioning Will, can you talk about the development of that character and his love story with Felix, with Felix, which we first saw here in the two-part finale? We talked about it a lot in the writer's room. We talked a lot about the idea of reunions and how, with the twist of Huck's true intentions for hope, we felt the audience deserved a happy reunion. That's one of the things that Will and Felix gave us. Will is a grounding force. He's very rational. He can check Felix. I thought they played it so well in the episode 9, and I'm so excited to see where it takes us going forward. Felix has been betrayed by his best friend who just tried to kill him in regards to Huck. We established early on in the season that Felix is emotionally distant and you can't blame him in the backstory that we got from Felix and how his dad kicked him out of the house after finding out that he's gay and even when the world was falling apart and Felix went back to uh, try to save and help his parents they would still not let him in, open the door and let him in, their son. That's just flat out cold. Uh, anyway, for him to be betrayed by Huck, it's going to have a big effect on him. The combination of that and reuniting with Will is going to have a big effect on Felix in some very interesting ways. Now, finally, when the first season, with the first season under the belt, what surprised you most about what fans have taken away from World Beyond and what lessons are you taking with you into the final season? What the actors bring to the role, that's what always surprises me. As writers, we're always trying to see what the actors are bringing to the character and, and how to write to that. And... You know, we have heard this so many times. We heard it yesterday. We've heard it from a number of guests that if an actor is on a show for, you know, more than one episode, the writers, and this holds true not just for the Walking Dead universe, but all shows and beyond, they really, the writers try to work with the actor's strength and write the role in a way that really makes the actor who is portraying the character even more authentic and real. And I think that's special. I think that's great. Uh, he goes on to say, I haven't spent a lot of time online. I appreciate the fans for being engaged and having strong opinions about the universe. I think that's what, I think that's what all engaged fans should have. But I'll say this, the show was always designed to evolve. It was always going to start with simpler stories and have the stakes grow and grow. Going into season two, it's really about continuing that evolution and amping up the stakes, providing answers to some questions still lingering at the end of season one, and going forth from there. So there you guys have it. That was uh, an interview by the showrunner himself, Matt Negri. So just answering a couple of the questions. And we actually got another person's take that we're going to start in on as well in regards to the finale. Okay. Uh, basically, this is just another recap. But like I said, we like to do, you know, get various takes and different, different people's opinion on how they saw a particular episode. Now, nothing's unavoidable. In an early flashback in the deepest cut, the first episode of the doubleheader, Huck was urged by Elizabeth to hurry up and isolate the asset. Iris, we were led to believe, was that asset 
or the CR would not do it for her. So Huck deliberately drove their truck off the road, leaving them with a flat that required her, Felix, and the Bennett girls to drudge off and search for shelter. When walkers tangled in barbed wire happened upon them, Huck seized the opportunity to slash Felix's leg and make it seem as if it had been cut in the scuffle. And you guys got to give big props to the mad skills that Huck has as a fighter. She is a trained, I mean, we know that she's a Marine. She's a badass fighter. But the level of uh, training that he that she has shown throughout the World Beyond uh, season, especially the final episodes, that goes above and beyond just basic Marine training. And the only place that she could have gotten that was after the world fell apart and she wound up inside the CRM. Uh, so again, it's a clue as to what the CRM is and how this is a group unlike any other that we have seen in any of the shows so far. And the one that we could say that, you know, let's say Daryl and the gang and The Walking Dead or Morgan and Fear, there's no way they can defeat the CRM because they are just, they have way too many resources uh, sure, uh, you know, David could, ha, did beat Goliath. And make no mistake about it, the CRM is Goliath. And anybody that goes up against him is David. Uh, but uh, just the amount of training they are able to give people, how they only recruit the best of the best, and the skills that we saw Huck display in that finale... Damn, that was just crazy. It was just flat out crazy. Anyway, upon taking refuge in a retirement home, she sucked up to Iris with all the subtlety of the office brown noser. Oh, but don't go into that particular room, Huck said. It's full of bodies of oldies who had shot themselves in the head. Nope, not suspicious at all. Since there was no way that Felix could hike across the hilly terrain that stood between the gang and the facility at which the girl's father uh, was being held at, their guardian decided that he should stay behind and they could pick him up on their way back to the campus colony. And that was some really big wishful thinking on Felix's part. Because you could sort of tell he's still naive that they're just going to go into the CRM uh, make sure Dr. Leo Bennett is fine, pick him up, and bring him back home to Omaha with absolutely no problems whatsoever. Instead, just as Iris was noticing all of the red flags that Huck was waving, Hope snuck away in the night with her, saying that Iris wouldn't leave without Felix. Turned out that Hope had decoded the CR cipher which revealed what a two-faced Huck was and that everyone who wasn't the asset was considered expendable. While all of that was going on, Elton discovered Percy alive, barely alive. It was okay, said that version of Percy, that was conscious but only in Elton's mind. Elton was hallucinating. He could leave the body to the walkers and save himself. Rather than do so, Elton fought the approaching empties and won. Uh, afterwards, finding a walkie-talkie in Percy's coat pocket, Elton managed to connect with Huck, only to have Percy knock the device out of his hand. Percy hadn't been attacked by Silas, you see, he had been shot. And she's the one that shot me. With that episode, uh, the first part of the finale concluded. And did you guys notice that look on Huck's face when she did get a hold of Elton? And 
Elton tells her that he found Percy and that Percy was still alive, that look of disappointment on Huck's face that she has this loose end running around out there in Percy, you know, she knew that was going to be a problem. Uh, Anyway, you can hate me and I will live with that. In this life was full of flashbacks to Leo's relationship with fellow researcher Lila, who I told you, that lady ain't right, who was apparently about as trustworthy as Huck, but she might have cared about the girl's dad at least a little, because ahead of Hope's arrival at the facility, she nervously practiced the speech in which she was going to disclose that she told the CR what she said about Hope. Basically, she's a genius, and that they were about to be reunited for the sake of humanity. Towards the end of the hour, Leo stopped Lila before she'd even begun her speech to share his suspicions about the CR military. And that is what I believe got him killed. That is a big part as to why I think that he is dead. And that he is not alive. So that whole speech that we saw Lila practicing in her lab. I think that's just to throw us off. I think when we finally do see Leo. I think I'm going to say it again. I think he's dead. What had become of Will's scouting mission for instance. And could they be sure that Dr. Abbott really left the facility to visit his sister. That's that's a BS story. Uh, viewers know, but Leo doesn't, that a zombified Dr. Abbott is amongst Lila's test subjects. So we know that Dr. Abbott is dead. Leo was starting to get suspicious on how he would just pick up and leave because something was wrong with his sister. And ultimately, who knows how much more he went on to question after that. Now, how could they be sure, mused uh, the poor dupe, that the military wasn't lying to them? He had an idea to achieve that end, but even as the season wrapped, we were left in the dark about what exactly it was. Picking up where the deepest cut left off, Hope aimed, Hope's aim to take, uh, take Huck out and get her to admit that she was C.R., Before the interrogation could go much further, of course, the walkers intervened. Hope lost the firearm in the ensuing fracas. Afterwards, Huck revealed that Leo was never in danger and that the last two messages the girls had received had been from Huck. Now, I tend to believe that to be true uh, because... If Dr. Leo Bennett is indeed dead, he would not have had time to send off a distress signal. The CRM would have probably have done it very quickly, and he definitely would not have seen it coming like what happened to Dr. Abbott. You know, why did the CRM kill one of their doctors? Was he too starting to question their military tactics? Was he stu- was Was he also starting to question what their quote-unquote future is really all about. Uh, She'd been assumed that Iris would try to talk Hope out of going after their father, then Huck and the isolated asset could have just taken off. Why did they have to make the trek at all? That was part of the master plan to get the asset to... Uh, see the world in the way that she understood the importance of her father's work. So it's just, again, being restated. Huck wanted to see, wanted hope to see what the outside world was really all about. That is why she insisted on her plan on how to get hope away from the Omaha colony, and in particular her sister, Because by the time she is brought to the CRM, she wanted Hope to have a full understanding 
of what it is that they're trying to build. Because you guys got to remember, Hope, Iris, Elton, Silas, they grew up behind those walls. Yeah, they knew that the outside world had fallen apart. They knew all about, you know, the walkers, which they call the empties, but they never lived it. Uh, God, how many episodes did we have to go before we saw one of them actually take out a walker instead of their avoidance method? If I could say what was the one thing that annoyed me the most about this current season of World Beyond was how reluctant uh, the teenagers were in taking out the damn walkers. It really aggravated me seeing them just push them away and run, push and run. Uh, and that all goes back to the training, the flashback training that we saw Felix giving them. Uh, in the classroom, he told them the best method is avoidance. Avoid them at all costs. But I really think he meant that if you have an option of going through some zombies or not, always choose the option not to go through the zombies. But they interpreted it as that if you come across these walkers, you just push them aside and run. Uh, no, that's not how you do it. Luckily, by the end of the season, they did start killing them. You got to give credit to Silas. He was the first one to really step up and start taking out those walkers. Uh, then, of course, they all started to fall in line with Hope, Elton, and eventually Iris herself. Um Retro Man on YouTube is with us, saying Bennett's assistant, the woman, is creepy. I have fear when I think about it. She is creepy. That's Dr. Lila. Saz writes, it was the first time some of them had seen um, uh, the walking, the actual walkers. I'd be a little bit scared, too. Exactly. It is, uh, it is different learning about it in a classroom which is where they learned how to, you know, quote-unquote defend themselves, as opposed to running into them outside those walls in the real life. Yeah, we all at home are all screaming at the TV, you know, take that knife, take that spear, and poke them in the head. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, they were trying to make it realistic, and I think they did a good job in this, making it realistic, that once they did get outside those walls... It's not as easy as it seems. Before we run out of time, I want to play our last video for the night. And this is a tribute. This is, again, from Hard Productions. This is a tribute to the Halloween 2018 movie. This is another great video. So let's go ahead and check that out right now. My suggestion is termination. Death is the only solution for Michael. There's nothing to be gained from keeping evil alive. We're here to investigate a patient that killed three innocent teenagers on Halloween in 1978.
that he would escape. What the hell do you do that for? So I can kill him. So is he real? Who? The boogeyman. I read you quoted. You don't believe in the boogeyman? I believe in Michael Myers, a deranged serial killer, but the boogeyman, no. Well, you should. There you guys have it. Now, I gotta admit, okay, I'm a huge Halloween fan. In fact, the original Halloween, the 1978 Halloween, is the very, very, very first horror movie I have ever seen at the age of five. And that's what got me hooked onto horror movies. And back in the 90s, uh, you know, 80s and 90s, it was, uh, you know, it's all about the slasher movies. So, Michael Myers who you just saw in the video, Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees. Okay, those were the three main slashers in the movies. And out of all those three, only one is still, movies are still being made of. And that is, of course, Michael Myers. Michael Myers is my favorite. I loved Michael Myers. To clear up some confusion, this was, because there have been so many remakes of the Halloween movies throughout the years, what you just saw there was the 2018 version of Halloween. That, the one you just saw, was done by the man who made the original Halloween. That was the John Carpenter 2018 Halloween. Uh, and because there have been so many sequels and remakes and it's been mixed and matched and turned upside down throughout the years... The way to easily understand that version right there, the 2018 version, is if you take the original movie back in 1978, okay, and you just erase all the other Halloween movies, the movie that came out in 2018 is the sequel to that original 1978 movie. Even though that 1978 movie did have its own sequel. I know it's kind of confusing, but yeah, it's a, it's just, a, it's a moneymaker. Everybody loves Michael Myers. And the story has been done in so many different ways. That Halloween 2018 came out two years ago. This year we were supposed to get the, uh, the next one in that series called Halloween Kills. That has been pushed back to 2021. And then the third movie, which is going to be called Halloween Ends. Whether it ends or not, I doubt it. But that's what it's going to be called. And that's coming out now in 2022. Anyway, guys, we are out of time. We are past our time for tonight. I want to thank you guys so much for tuning in. Don't forget, tomorrow we have a very special guest, Caroline Devernas from Hannibal, from Mary Kills People, from Devil, and a whole bunch of other TV shows and movies. Don't forget to tune in for that. Alexa Neesonson, who plays Charlie on Fear the Walking Dead, is going to be our guest Monday night, December 7th. Make sure you tune in for that. To see all of our upcoming guests, visit our website at deadtalklive.com. If you want to see any of our interviews that you might have missed, they're all available on our website. Visit us on YouTube. Our channel's name is Dead Talk Live. Please go ahead and subscribe. And please, if you're there right now, it'd be greatly appreciated if you guys hit the thumbs up button on this broadcast. I want to thank you all again for joining me tonight. Stay safe. Till tomorrow, stay walking.